1: Hi listeners, welcome to the fourth episode of The Subject, an alternative source of inspiration from Everyday Women. This week's Vox Pops are a bit longer than usual and that's because Claire went to the historic Women's March in London uh, to ask people who were there, why they were there and what they think of Trump. Claire, what was it like? Because the pictures look absolutely amazing, obviously it was like a record turnout for protests ever
2: So it was a really special day. I mean, to be honest, it was my first march. I was feeling a little bit nervous about going. But when we got there, we arrived sort of near Green Park and it was just a really, really nice, friendly atmosphere. There were families out there, young kids involved in the protests, very peaceful. And it was just full of a bunch of people that were very determined about the situation that's going on. Um, So at the end of the march, which ended up in Trafalgar Square, there was rallies. And you know what, it was really great because there were so many different reasons for people being there. One, just to establish unity about the world, not necessarily about Trump, but also given what's happened with Brexit. Then there was young boys there that wanted to support their female friends. Um, I was really surprised by most of what people were saying. Most people surprised me because I had made assumptions that everyone was there, hated Trump. And yes, people have were united in their dislike of him, but it wasn't necessarily the main driver for them
1: being there. This time we're talking to Josie. Who is someone that we met on a whim. Yeah, we did. We were at Brick Lane a couple of months ago. Fox Popping. What were we asking people about that time? I can't even remember. Maybe we were we even asking them about Trump that time? No, we were asking them about paid period leave. That was one of the inns. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was our book. Really polarizing question on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and we went remember we went to Rough Trade to get some photos taken. Photo booth pictures. Because we thought we could get some like trendy black and white photos for our and social media. And they were really bad. They were really bad. Yeah. And then we went into Josie's store, Ragyard, which is... Full of sequins, camo, like stuff from all around the world. It has a really eclectic and fun vibe. And got chatting with her, and she was so interesting and inspiring that we thought, hey, actually, can we do an interview? We asked her, she said yes, and uh, like a week or so later, we recorded this. We're, we're rolling. This is an evening podcast, and we're in a very different setting to usual. We're not in Claire's airy, bright flat, we're in sort of a... A den. A a den of iniquity. We're in the confessionals (laughs) booth at Pix, and we're here with Josephine Starsmore, who's a fashion entrepreneur and a designer. Purveyor of all things vintage, sequined, and um, amazing, <laughs> and she's talking to us today about her career journey and inspirations and all that kind of thing. So
2: yeah, thank you so much for joining My us. My pleasure. So I suppose where where did we want to start? Let's go into the very um, beginning. The very beginning. The very so beginning. So how did Ragyard all come about?
3: Right, right at the start, mm-hmm. I was at university in Cardiff mm-hmm. studying to become a journalist. Oh. Bizarrely enough. Bit different. Bit different <laughs> from what you're doing. Um obviously part of being a student is going out a lot, <laughs> spending a lot of time raving pretty much every night in the nightclubs. With very little money, couldn't buy the clothes I wanted to wear to mm. the clubs. Mm-hmm. Many of which I embarrassing enough I used to actually dance in. So, you know, it or what, was, professionally well, dancing well, well, you know, Yay. I'm not sure professional is the word, but I was a big <laughs> dancer. Were you? There was a podium pretty much every night, so I so kind I of. Been, I, did <laughs> I not bet know you were that. in so, shape. Also, you no, so now, bit, but... um, thank you. I also, um I needed, you know, I needed a new outfit every pretty much every week, maybe every night. And my part-time job in the baguette shop <laughs> didn't, quite... didn't pay a lot. Didn't pay a lot. So basically and not only that, I, I was often a bit disappointed with what was on the high street anyway. Mm. It felt a bit like it wasn't very creative and um anyway, so I used to hit the charity shops quite a lot. And what I would find was often, you know, just this really lovely fabric, which might be a silk scarf might be a, a an old curtain it might be a men's dressing gown mm-hmm. um whatever you know whatever form it took i would often just go for the fabric so silk or something that you wouldn't really be able to afford mm-hmm. on the high street mm. savvy uh-huh. from the get go you know there, there was obviously like something there which in terms of um print design fabric that I hadn't really ever explored before Mm. um that that was kind of innate I guess that I really loved and so I would kind of find the fabric before I'd think of a style and then take it home and basically recreate Mm. (laughs) using honestly a stapler often genuinely because I'd kind of get home at five and I'd want to go out at eight or whatever and so I kind of but you know I had I had the newest silk scarf so I wanted to kind of use that sometimes it's safe I mean very very rudimentary sewing Mm. and um but but I remember I mean genuinely the first time I wore a silk scarf skirt out Mm -hmm. um I think it was like four or five different girls came up to me in this Cardiff nightclub basically saying where's that from how much was it? Where did you get it? Mm-hmm. Where can I get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I, you know, the, people talk about this light bulb moment, but I, je- I really did have a kind of eureka moment where I thought, well, this is a four pound cost price. And these girls are already like readily offering me forty quid in the toilets. Like, in, Were they saying that? In, yeah, yeah, in, in a
1: Cardiff
2: what, nightclub. That that is the ultimate kudos for me. Like mm. wearing an outfit and someone comes out because oh, it, it takes a, a lot of guts to even make more that. More than anything, step. that's
3: when I knew. Not so much the financial sense of that as a business, but more the fact that women don't often approach another exactly. stranger. It's, it's a rarity. stranger woman in the toilet to actually compliment mm. them. Sadly, it doesn't. It doesn't happen that much. Mm. It certainly didn't happen in Cardiff circa really? 2002 <laughs> um, and so basically I did genuinely think God there's there must be something in this yeah. but um didn't quite know what but I enough I was kind of savvy enough I guess to get the phone numbers and yeah. and get the measurements and, and kind of go back and, and start to do it because I think I did realized you? Brilliant. straight away yeah because I guess I realized that Excellent. you know 40 quid when you're working in a baguette shop you're talking about like three shifts yeah mm-hmm. Wow. Three lunch times to do that, which was quite fun for meeting boys, but it wasn't like above and beyond that. It wasn't really paying what I needed. So I, um, so I did start taking phone numbers and kind of saying, yeah, I'll get in touch with you and blah, blah, blah. So I made a few sales initially like that. And then, and then it it genuinely just grew. It was kind of, um, I I did like a little market stall in the university union. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, can I have a table, you know, and just sell some stuff and, and people would stop and buy, which is, I mean, it's kind of, I guess, it's kind of embarrassing to look back. You know, right. I was actually peddling my wares, and what? some people that, must that have is thought like
1: pure entrepreneurial spirit. That's like at its, you know, at its purest.
3: I mean, I yeah, for me, I think and that's I think an to I think to
1: get that light bulb moment so quickly is mm.
3: is incredible. But I think, I mean, I I look back on my younger self and I think, God, it was yeah, it was kind of naive in a way because some of the stuff was gen I mean I couldn't I wouldn't show anyone that stuff now almost mm. because you know mm. where I, where I am now in terms of manufacturing and stuff it, it obviously was very basic well, but you don't staple your clothes again <laughs> no no he'll no, be happy <laughs> it's to a hear. unique approach <laughs> yeah. yes that's your USP in I don't think the kind of you know the garment testing for the high street would I'd get past that but I think that um I think it was just pure excitement Mm. I mean I was so excited that somebody would want to invest in something that I put together Mm. um that's what drove it 100 percent. so anyway um I continued with my degree I graduated and at that point my parents who are not in any way entrepreneurial they won't mind me saying that they are very much academic Mm -hmm. people really um that's been their path more, really. They, you know, they said, well, you have some, this is a business, basically. Did it have a name back then? Yeah, it was It was originally called Boho. Mm-hmm. Love but, it. But What's... with a bow with a W, Boho. Okay. Like a hoe that wears bows. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. Capital B, capital H. Loves it. Yep. Um, <laughs> very, like, naughty. What was it? Naughties no yeah, yeah, very, yeah, naughty. yeah very naughty so um yeah so basically um they they identified that it was it was a business um at that time you know people graduating my peer group from cardiff were i mean mass exodus of cardiff mm. back to london mm-hmm. any job just get in, get on the ladder so my parents saying to me oh you've got something why don't you move back to devon you can have your old bedroom we won't charge you, and you know you could start you can concentrate on doing more of boho, you know making more of these scarf things and you know selling them for this like thirty six pound markup and um, amazing yeah percent yeah. well it's it's a good it's i mean that's good a good margin, margin. i'd yeah. be I'd be retired now if I was still working on that margin. so <laughs> basically i you know i I said okay, hmm. You know, knowing there's like no like night nightlife, it was a huge sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And how at long the time. did you do that for? So then I was at home for I think about eighteen months, uh-huh. but essentially I would spend the week designing and making garments because they were like one offs; they all needed individual designing. And then I'd get a four am train on a Friday to London mm-hmm. with my market bags of mm-hmm. stock to London. Get the the morning commute. In London, across to Spitalfields, set up my stall wow. and have a Spitalfields market stall. So get everything out and, and be there in the cold for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did that probably for about six months. Um, had an amazing time, like yeah. got my first real, real like market experience and, yeah. and you know trading experience mm-hmm. and um, met some amazing characters. And then basically. It, towards the end of the six months um top shop send around scouts to have a look at what's you new what kind of things are out there and so um they saw the stall and they said oh would you you know we're really interested in what you're doing and would you come in and show us some samples of what you can do um so me and my and i'm still like this now everything is a not everything but most things are a of course i can
1: Yeah, 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 of course. Say yes and figure it out later. Figure it out later. You know, don't worry
3: about that. Mm. Figure it out later. And I guess that comes from having a good support network, Mm. which, um, you know, I I have. Even if my parents lack experience in what I've ended up doing, they're always on hand to be helpful, Mm. practical, you know, just offer advice. Mm. So um, it was a yeah, fine, of course. And then I spent the next few weeks like absolutely... (laughs) Manically researching, you know, wash care labels and fibre comps and trading standards and all of this stuff, you know, and to go in with this with this range of, of samples actually in freezer bags. So each yeah. one was in a freezer bag. But, yeah, why? So I didn't they... have garment bags. You know, yeah. like I didn't know where you buy like poly bags. Mm. You know, garment bags. So I just okay. thought they were the nearest thing. Just like sealed, like zip and sealed. They like, probably freezer thought it bags. was some
1: like minimal industrial. Absolutely, cheap, I, like... I should
3: probably bring it back. They probably <laughs> thought it was quite cool. Much <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was. Uh, and anyway. how old were you at this point? So then I would have been about twenty. Three, twenty-four. Oh, wow. And so you yeah. had like a
1: pitch with Topshop where you took these garments all yeah. along and showed it and talked yeah. them through the brand and everything. Yeah. yeah. And at that
3: stage it had actually been rebranded. To what was, was the off, name? Which was then called Where Are You Now by Josie.
1: Where are you now that It's
2: need like you? Justin Bieber. <laughs> where are you now? <laughs> so Where are you now, Josie? By
3: where Josie. are you now? Josie. Josie. Kiss. Oh, no.
1: oh, so it's like Where, where are you
3: now, now? question mark? Josie, Josie Kiss.
1: Okay, right. I quite, love it. Quite yeah. a lot. Does <laughs> it fit on the label there?
3: <laughs> quite, a, quite a strange choice. But um <laughs> the idea was is that or the swing tickets, I mean I think I think I was actually quite ahead of my time. The swing tickets were like passports. And so basically oh, it was so like wicked. it was like where have these things come from? Oh, like
0: clever. we get you. where are you now? Like where are
3: you now? You know, have you has this silk scarf been at a garden party with the Queen? Like, has oh, this belt been that's worn so by a soldier uh, in whatever so you know it was it was kind of like the elements that you brought together in the design where they'll come from so really playing up the history recycling of the, the previous history of each piece like all of that. Ah, that's incredible yeah mm. but it was that. it was very much because i wouldn't have known where to source actual new fabric or mm. zips or You know, so it was more just necessity that the Mm. designs were very simple and the fabrics were sourced from charity shops and then later huge recycling ragyard depots, Mm -hmm. which I'd go and sort through for a day. Where are those?
1: Are they lost?
3: Oh, they're all over. I've actually just come back from a trip to the America's biggest vintage recycling centre, which was unbelievable. So
1: at what yeah. point did you um expand from stocking to Top Shop with yes. your label Where are you now? J- so um Kiss. to like travelling and yes. doing backyard. I,
3: so um so Top Shop expanded the line to a few of their flagship stores. From that I quick quite quickly, I mean four or five years into it, realised that really the one-off stuff wouldn't allow me to expand beyond a certain point. Because mm-hmm.
1: is that because it's quite a lot of input from you? Huge. Just, yeah. I mean, it was Lots everything.
3: Everything was one-off. So yeah. basically, where I tried to get people into help, the handwriting would change mm. with the design. If they put that scarf with that, somehow, it did look different and it, mm. it wasn't quite yeah. the right thing. So then I realised I had to create a wholesale range. So basically, went about designing a wholesale range, which thankfully, I mean, was taken up by ASOS the first kind of six pieces that I, six piece range that I designed, went into ASOS, I'm going to try, sorry, try and make this a bit shorter now, went into ASOS and effect, effectively one dress sold out in a day.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I was called in by the then head of buying, who I still work with now, which is really bizarre because mm-hmm. obviously we've, you know, we've come a long way. Um, she said to me, you know, you need, you need to get this, we want to order 5,000 of these oh my so I had to approach my grandma for a loan mm-hmm. on which she charged the interest <laughs> <Cheap>. <laughs> in order for me to pay the factory to get the stock made to get it delivered to ASOS to, to then wait 30 days for the payment from ASOS which allowed me to buy my flat <gasps> the money made wow. in that order allowed me to put a deposit mm-hmm. on my flat in London wow. and so basically it was like I mean that's incredible so that's, that, an- that's how I then got to wholesale so then I had a factory then I knew how to basically make a garment properly mm-hmm. Um, fast forward a couple of years and I would say I probably had a bit of a meltdown I had it all got too much I realised that this was like a one man band mm-hmm. it, it, my mum was working for me in Devon sorting out the manufacturing down there but yeah. it got, I mean it just got crazy and I didn't really have the support or the knowledge I was also living the life of a normal 20 odd year old in London going out a lot mm-hmm. It all kind of came tumbling down a little bit. So you were all completely on your own, this whole point, apart from the support that you had from your mum? My mum was a f- like actually employed by the company, the company yeah. um, in Devon. I had like I had an assistant who'd go in and help my mum pack up all the goods, but basically it was right. me. Um, we had a little website. We had, you know, like the beginnings of e-com. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a Japanese agent we'd sell in Japan. So, it you know, oh, wow. it was Did all you? learning. But, I mean, we... It basically got too much, so I, I decided that really I wanted a break and I wanted to kind of learn design, because mm-hmm. I hadn't ever really learnt it and I didn't really know it at Garment Construction. I then basically got, got freelance jobs as a designer with suppliers, learnt a bit more about the, the craft and then set up N16 Vintage, which is my company, about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, from that, we have launched Ragyard, which is our own brand. We have two stores now in London, mm-hmm. and but the main part of our business to date has been um, supplying very similar. It's a similar ethos. We still upcycle vintage, and we create vintage-inspired product for the high street. So we do a lot with um, ASOS, still mm-hmm. um, Topshop, Urban Outfitters. We we supply them with this quite specialised niche customized reworked Mm. vintage product and we now have offices in north london we've got upwards of 35 people now working for us um we work with factories all over the uk and um it's now you know become a really quite a quite a major operation and from that small beginning
2: yeah what a fantastic journey
3: yeah i I mean it's unbelievable i i kind of i don't often Recall it all, you know, because every day's so full that you don't yeah, have you a lot of time for affection. It. Yeah. Absolutely, but it is—it is—it's quite—it's quite an amazing. Um, American Dream type thing isn't it it is did you <laughs> yeah.
1: see that film Joy with Jennifer yes, Lawrence yes loved it, it reminds, it reminds yeah, me of Joy loved it. when you were saying you took a loan from your grandma did you yeah, see it I never saw it but in I fact know. my dad
3: phoned me my mum and dad went to see that film and he phoned me and he was like you have to go and see this really? film mm-hmm. yeah and it made me actually quite emotional mm-hmm. when I watched her on the QVC on the, QVC, like on the yeah. selling thing I actually got quite emotional which is weird because I don't often get emotional and I got it really touched me i guess because it's that grit so what happens in that what happens in that scene she invents the magic mop so the mop where you basically twist and and then she goes on qbc which is a new thing in america yeah. and at first she kind of fails oh, yeah. i mean i don't want to give it she bombs. away but i mean she's a histo- in in history she's one of the most successful female entrepreneurs she's just come up with so
1: many products like you made those, those velvety absolute, um, coat hangers you know when things yeah, fall yeah. off a coat hanger? I mean, she, she patented those velvet ones, yeah. so they would, like, grip your things.
3: Um, Essentially, but, yeah. she's... I mean, she's an engineer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But she but probably wouldn't no be credited form, with no that. No
1: formal training. Just just ideas. And she'd, like... When she was little, she would make houses out of paper, and she wanted to know how things worked.
3: Mm. But
1: just really... lovely she story. Really it. It's great. Yeah. You see it. And
3: Recommend. she's amazing. Jennifer Lawrence plays... Yeah, the, you know, great. she's a really incredible. You really get a sense of that grittiness. Yeah. Like... Drive. she's so
2: human i love mm. her so um going back thinking about that amazing support from your parents yes, yes. um even before university can you tell us a bit about yep. your childhood and how that sort of affected maybe who you are
3: today absolutely i think i mean i'm not i'm not a parent i'm a step parent mm-hmm. so i don't you know i don't necessarily um i haven't i haven't got influence i haven't got experience of the other way around yep. but certainly now that I'm in this step-parent role, I refer a lot to my own childhood yeah, in the sense that basically um, I think it's it's everything. It's absolutely massive. You know, my mum would say to me, my character was always set. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to go to bed. I only needed about four hours sleep. <laughs> she didn't, you know, she was like, you're like a little Margaret Thatcher. You just basically like, you're bossing everyone around, you know. And, and also she referred quite a lot to that like, I have quite a quite a practical side mm-hmm. which my brothers didn't have so mm-hmm. she said you know if we needed something fixing or something you would be able to figure it out I like would give and my brothers are huge are like are hugely successful and very very talented and very bright but it, it, there was a kind of that we all have very different I would say skills mm-hmm. so I think from that point of view that's maybe from birth you know that's your that's your genes right mm-hmm. but we've we have all had a remarkable support from to incredibly intelligent and actually quite independent parents you know they're very much together but they have very much separate personalities and oh, really? very much yeah they're, they're quite different characters as well and I guess when I was growing up I used to say that it's like five five people that they've almost like picked and put together as a family because we don't live in each other's
2: mm. we
3: all are have been allowed to go off and, and develop ourselves individually and, and then it it makes it the richer because Mm -hmm. when we all get together you have this amazing experience um of everyone having very much different opinions the dinner table was always about different opinions and and justifying them and but probably sometimes being shouted down (laughs) by other people or you know not in a kind of Italian like mamma mia sense, but (laughs) but very much like a like um just I would say an edgy like an educated Mm -hmm. and I guess when I was younger I actually felt a bit intimidated by it mm-hmm. at times because my older brother is exceptionally academic mm-hmm. and so he would you know I, I'd kind of listen in awe and, and try and take it in but also feel a little bit intimidated so I think it probably developed like a I guess a lot of people don't have that from that age they don't have that experience of being put in a situation where you might be a bit scared to have an opinion or speak up or yeah. you know and it, it allowed me to deal with it because I thought well, I, I'm sitting here a bit passive. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit, I'm a bit passive, and I don't really have anything to say because mm-hmm. I don't know about the history of the Israel Palestine conflict. Yeah. You know, aged eleven, yeah. I don't know about that. But there's like this whole discussion going on that I can't partake in. That's frustrating. Frustrating, but yeah. And I, I, think it's frustrating. I think it allows you to recognise your own talents that you have that other that those people don't have. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of allows you to really, but it, it, it makes you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. I guess. Makes you think about where you fit, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. And And it was a very supportive environment. It wasn't like I was sat there on my own thinking, I don't fit in. It just allowed me to... It it encouraged me probably to examine myself more than I guess other people do. Mm -hmm. It's normal when it's your own family, though, isn't it? You don't think about it. Yeah.
1: But you do build your identity sometimes in opposition to other people yes it's not always like taking inspiration from everywhere and adding it all together and coming up with this person that you want to be sometimes it's in seeing things that you maybe you don't know about or that you lack or that you you physically are like no that does not sit right with me yes that's something I now know about myself and that helps me to be
3: more forceful with who I am and more confident in what you are good at I guess because along with that Um, when I say like challenging environment, I don't mean it in a bad sense at all. I just mean, I guess, that it was more... What's the right word? It's more... Sounds like a learning environment. Yeah, yeah. Learning is is regarded highly. You know, knowledge, learning is kind of held in the highest, more than, you know, looks or, you know, those kind of things wasn't as important. And so... um, but but underneath all of that was always like a supportiveness and a, and a real um, confidence giving. So you sound like your family are quite high, highly achieving. Yes. So do yeah, you they feel?
1: Are. Have you felt like you've been able to make mistakes in in growing up and and in even being an adult, or do you feel like that's something that you really strive not to make mistakes? And it's mm, a
3: good question. To always. Yeah, I'm. I'm not good well. at you know. If you're if you're talking about failing, you know, I don't. I haven't failed exams or i don't you know i always did my homework I, my husband says i'm like the world's greatest overachiever you know i will always try and get better than last time or you know just mm. just do my best yeah. always do my best um i wouldn't say that I, I guess i'm not conscious of that being born of like a fear of failure but it probably is but more just that if i'm going to do it i really want to do my best and Um, But I do remember failing my driving test, actually. Mm It was like probably... And and I actually cried. You know, I'm talking about when when I've been emotional. I mean, I basically, like, I got back to the house. I knew I'd failed. And the driving instructor said, oh, you know, the the test, you failed. And I was was kind of completely... Me? (laughs) I was such a princessy thing. But I was a bit like, God this is really, this really sucks. A shit feeling. It's a really shit feeling because I haven't mastered this at all. Mm. Like, I just, I'm not good at this. You know, I'm not good and I'm tr- I've actually really tried. Mm-hmm. And it's just really rubbish. But, you know, that, that, I guess, the fact that I hadn't experienced that earlier, I don't know, I was always, you know, doing my spelling homework on time and <laughs> all of that, so.
2: And along this whole journey that you've had creating Ragyard as it is now, mm. have you ever had moments of... Have you ever had moments of self-doubt? And can you tell us about those moments, if you have had them?
3: I think, I think where I struggle even now is that I, I've become the boss mm-hmm. of quite a lot of people. Quite a minute, 35 is not a huge number. It is a lot of But people, when though. I, you know, I'm, I guess until even as much as two years ago, I've been quite a lone shark. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've really been quite a kind of independent self-starter. Mm-hmm. I, I struggle... Still, with the management of other people, it's a different skill set to what you're totally an different. In. It's mm. totally different. I do have high expectations. I find it difficult to not so much hand over to other people, but I, you know, I find it difficult when those standards aren't met mm. by people. Mm. I find it difficult to put on a kind of human and a business head at the same time. Such a difficult balance. You know, that's that's something I'm I'm definitely more lean towards the the tough you know, rather than the human, so mm-hmm. I think probably there's almost like a, an anxiety that I would be seen as a soft touch, mm-hmm. and so I almost counter counteract that, really? go a little bit too much of the other way, um, mm-hmm. along with the high high standard, high expectations, yeah. I don't think I'm a very nice person always to work for, because I think I'm probably quite, quite tough, Um it also comes with having your own business because yeah. you care so much. This business has been born entirely out of passion mm. for what I do, and so when you you don't feel that from people that you employ to help you do it better, it's quite difficult. Yeah, how do you
2: go about employing people, actually? That must be really, because um, you are sharing something that you're so passionate with. It's yeah. how, how do you spot the talent that's gonna be part of that journey and help well, you grow?
3: I honestly don't think there is, there is a surefire way. I think we've been very lucky. Mm-hmm. We've actually got some really incredible people and because we've grown so quickly you know we've employed people at a point where the business looks so different from how it is now yeah and those people have really come on the whole journey
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, which which is a is something that's kind of an achievement it's in itself but it's really I mean the whole interview thing is really weird because you you so can't you can't ever know. Yeah.
2: You don't Some people
3: know. are just excellent at interviewing and mm-hmm. um have quite a random skill set. I almost look for that in other people, which is, is has been good at the start when we were a small company trying to grow, but now we need to be more specific. people need to they have more specific skills and yeah. need specialist people. Yeah. I'm not particularly good you know, if it's somebody it's somebody in merchandising mm. because I'm not naturally yeah. a merchandiser, I find that quite difficult to recognise whether or not they'd be good. But that's why, you know, you bring in people who are good at recognizing the things. and Are more in your management team, I guess. And, and is you your trust company them.
1: quite equally like male and female? I always think of fashion as quite a female. Yeah, it is. Strong. It
3: is a female. Indeed. I mean, we have a management team of six and two thirds, so four mm-hmm. are women. And the company generally is is about seventy to eighty percent women. That's not necessarily intentional. That's mm-hmm. just been you know people that I think are have come forward at the right time and, and have shown their their skills to be what we need but I enjoy working with women Mm -hmm. you know I do enjoy that and I guess there is like a sense of nurturing I think where I felt very lucky going back to the um, childhood and is that I have never really had that Lack of self confidence, which sounds horrifically arrogant. No, I think it's so no, important it for an entrepreneur. I don't, no, you look,
1: and, I, and I don't think women need to apologise for being confident yeah. and being um, bold. No, you know, being
3: bold, being being confident and is being strict. It's actually like confidence is probably the key as well in business it's because key. it doesn't matter. Like looking back to that, you know, the the stall in the university. It doesn't really matter if everyone thought it was rubbish. Mm. I was confident in it. Mm. You know, in a way, and that, that kind of blind naivety or blind faith actually gets you to the where you want to be. Exactly, yeah. And I think if you don't have that, and I think a lot of the girls, because they are quite young women who, who work in the company, I think if there's one thing that I am in a privileged position is that I can encourage them and really, I've got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. If somebody does something brilliantly, I will tell them they've done it brilliantly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can only applaud people. You know, I enjoy that. That's the best part.
2: Yeah, no, we've talked about this before, yeah. but
3: that I, so within my company, I,
2: I would, I've, I've coached different sort of both male and female and the difference between confidence and self-doubt mm. when it comes to the sex unbelievable. Is, un- is unbelievable, especially within the younger generations. I
1: looked, I, I looked it up because so many people have talked about the statistic. I think it was in... It was in the book. Lean in, lean lean in. in. Yeah. Oh,
3: it's unbelievable. It's so. It's. I find that to be very true Mm -hmm. in real life. No, it is. Yeah. I went to a talk recently where they were they um one of the London universities and they were talking about this very thing about employing how to it was how to get into fashion. You Mm -hmm. know, so they had a lot of the students there and they invited obviously some potential employers there and I went and um and basically. You know, these young girls were asking, well, what can we do and how can we... And you just... I mean, I I basically... I I gave them um, an insight to reviews so you know every year we have reviews no every every year we have our annual like staff reviews Uh for um bonus you know performance performance and things like that and and if they feel they need a pay rise which is funny because they always do (laughs) um you know they come in and we talk and we talk about what they could do better and how they've done well and highlights and all these kind of things and um i just sometimes wish in a way there was you could do like a fly on the wall Mm, because it's like, the difference between the way men oh. come in and the way women come in is so staggering. Mm-hmm. Really? Like, I have I think I've only had two female employees come in and say, actually, I I deserve to have this pay, right, mm-hmm. because... And then just very clearly, no emotion, list the reasons why, and <laughs> leave it with you. <laughs> what I sometimes have is, oh, you know, I kind of, like, if it's all right, I'd quite like to have, like, a bit more because da 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 and if that's okay, but obviously I understand that. Mm-hmm. And they almost talk taught themselves out of it. before. Yeah. And you know, it's 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 been a, it, again, it's been a privilege in the fact that we have a successful profit making company that often I can almost stop them at phone and <laughs> say, "Well, I agree with you, <laughs> so let's just stop there." Like, you know, but but guys, and I think this is what Cheryl Sandberg puts really eloquently is when she talks about guys will talk themselves up to get a yep. job. Mm-hmm. And women will find a reason why they can't do that job. Mm-hmm. Like, that's and it's it, that's the most concise, I think, way that... of describing what I've seen in the workplace. And then I wanted to talk to you a little bit, or we
2: wanted to talk to you a bit about success. And so, obviously, Ragyard has come on exponentially over time. Mm. And at what point do you think you'll feel satisfied, or what does satisfaction mean to you? Yeah,
3: it's, this is something that is, I would say, ever-changing. Mm-hmm. I don't often stop and look ar- I don't often stop to reflect as I said earlier like I don't I don't do the re- the reviewing the reflection to be honest I don't have that much time off so I don't I don't actually have a chance often to do it I like to be busy I like to be involved so I kind of I don't really look back on where I'm at I think there's a danger that enough is never enough mm. you know that you mm. always want to keep going and you know you have a lovely home and then you want to improve that or you want to go on a nicer holiday or you want to you know so financial success is almost i think there will come a time where there will come a time there you go but we need i need to put in a target i guess and then once we get to that then then the financial success is kind of taken care of Mm -hmm. um because every year that goes we are growing and it's getting it's getting bigger and obviously we have a a business five-year plan but I don't know beyond that. Then there'll probably be a ten-year plan, and then yeah. there'll probably be a fifteen-year plan. It and it's only like going to grow. a mini
1: Maggie Thatcher, then probably you're never going to feel satisfied.
3: Like. Yeah. It's, uh, but I don't like the thought that I'll never be. I know, and I generally in my day-to-day life, I would say I'm a very, I am very satisfied. Yeah. And there's a difference you know.
1: between person, feeling personally fulfilled and professionally fulfilled.
3: Yes. Yeah. There's
1: some crossover, but
3: there's. I mean, I would say probably running the business, running my own business now. There's a lot of crossover.
1: Mm. Would you say you're a workaholic? Probably. Why?
3: Um. For example, I mean, I I got married last year and I've become stepmom to four kids. If that hadn't happened, my life now would be so different how it is. Basically, I wouldn't take the weekend. One hundred percent. When I met working. my when I met my now husband, I probably worked at least one of the two days over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um. What he has basically enforced <laughs> is the fact that well he's actually he's educated me with children you can't be there and on and yeah. on your email you can't be there and be designing you're there or you're not there yeah. and if if they're going to be a big part of your life you're going to be a big part of their life you have to be there every weekend for the whole weekend
1: yeah and there's it's also important to be in the moment i think we we speak absolutely. about mindfulness quite a bit and having absolutely. that fractured it's so easy to try and be multitasking but actually it's turned into more of a like an ADHD where we actually can't focus on one thing and then absolutely. your experience of what you're trying to do is is just weakened and diluted because you're
3: absolutely s-
1: scrolling instagram or tweeting so
3: absolutely 100% i mean i recognize that the attention the attention span and um i mean i i often say I have no patience you know I I am somebody who likes to move at a rapid rate Mm. but I still want to appreciate the good times and and have that recognition of when things are good Mm. you know because otherwise you can I think anyone can quickly lose their sense of satisfaction
1: yeah if you're always striving
3: but you know but generally going back to your question about success um I think I think being challenged and being fulfilled for me is a big thing. Mm. I do think that I do think that 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 forms a big part of me feeling um, successful.
1: Mm.
3: You know, when I when I meet not as often as I would like because I'm probably mm. working. Um when I do meet with friends or you know mm. and they c- complain about their job or they don't you know they're not necessarily happy doing what they're doing I I do feel that's not part of my world. Yeah.
1: You don't know it's what that to is. to identify with. Yeah, yeah and, and I, you know, mm-hmm.
3: and I do, my job can be very stressful. It can be very stressful and it's certainly very all-consuming, but I do enjoy what I do. Yeah. You know, and I have made this little world for myself, which is something that is what I like to do. Mm-hmm. So as long as that continues, I think I'm very lucky. Yeah.
1: Cool. Can I ask you, so, so, like, explain about Sheryl Sandberg and, yes. and Jennifer Lawrence and, well, enjoy. I can't remember what she's actually called that woman, but who are some I of know, your, terrible. like, business inspirations or fashion icons, who are some people that you love?
3: Well, this is, again, I, I, I mean, I don't think I'm very outward looking, I genuinely don't think I have, like, role models, I was talking about this, actually, with my husband the other night, because he talks a lot about role models, you know, it's really important. That these kids have these role models, and I, I said, but I don't really, I don't really get that. Mm. It's weird. It's, I'm not really like a fan mm. person. I don't really have like a an alignment with one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really, <clears throat> I don't really feel that. I don't think I ever really have. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed different things, but I don't have like a role model per se. I admire, I guess, I admire anyone who is brave enough to go out there and do what they want to do and follow that, even though it means sacrifice or it might mean real hardship. That's what I would admire, mm-hmm. but I don't mean really, my my parents. Actually, going back to the the family um, environment, we we basically have this kind of weird blanket ban on the word like pride, like proud. My 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 mum certainly, who is quite an amazing character, she doesn't really believe in to say she's proud. Why? Of somebody because for her it denotes, it kind of denotes like a an element of being involved in the success okay does that make, yeah, does that make sense? No, yeah. so basically like for her to say to me i'm her really proud it. i'm really yeah, proud of yeah. you mm. she says well i can't i mean i don't i haven't had anything to do with what you've done you know in a way it's not my thing to be proud of mm-hmm. it's basically it's your thing I, I you know i think it's great but there's this kind of like ban on, on being proud of somebody and i guess i've obviously grown up with that and so mm. i now don't use that word You know, like I don't really use the word of being proud of myself or proud of this. I'm just I'm happy, I enjoy it, I feel grateful, I'm humbled by the success. I you know, I I love every day it's a challenge. You just work hard and, you know, try and make it better. (laughs) But it's not, you know, there's not a reflection, there's not a
1: there's a lot of that that (laughs) like nowadays on Facebook and instagram like hashtag blessed hashtag feeling proud like hashtag little angel face and i just think, angel yeah, face i haven't seen yeah like one. Oh, wow. blessed I, I oh, think is like, that what that is yeah I, I don't know like don't there's a lot of patting yourself on the back and that's yeah. fine that all the like motivational um messages it's fine but i just think
3: but i don't i also wouldn't feel like i would hollow. want people to I wouldn't want people to look on read that you way. Know, I yeah. wouldn't want, you know, I kind of, I find it quite, it's a bit cringe. Like, well, have you,
1: like, I thought you, have you been um, given talks to students? Yeah, yeah, I have.
3: Yeah, my university as well, they asked me back to talk to students. But, I mean, I'm, as I said, I'm quite practical. So, yeah. when people ask, you know, what should I do or how should I, how, you know, what advice would you give? It's kind of, like, to me right there you ne- don't necessarily have the entrepreneurial gene then. Mm-hmm. Because, like, if you're mm-hmm. sitting in a room listening to somebody to say, what should I be doing, and you're not doing it, mm-hmm. that's like, true. genuinely, I find that quite difficult because I kind of feel like um, you you just naturally would be trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, in a way, I didn't I didn't really... That's my experience, but I get that that's one case in however many billion. But I just, you know, I think you you have that fire in your belly and you think, well... If I want to sell a product, there's no point sitting and asking someone how to sell it. You have to, first of all, make it Mm -hmm. or draw it or, you know, do it. And then you have to go and show people it. It's true. It's kind of a logical. I always watch that. I mean, I do love that. Do you? Genuinely, I do love The Apprentice. (laughs)
1: Um, and and the guy that won this year was a real. I think he left school at 16. He was a plumber. He's, you know, he was very very, yes, very practical, yes. Joseph. And he was up against this yeah. American girl who oh, had an MBA terrifying. from yeah. NYU or
3: something.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, he they won. Apple, don't yeah. I yeah, and she came up with an app. And his was more about like subcontracting plumbing, plumbing services. When he won it, he won the investment and the partnership. And yeah, mm. he was super practical. Had gone out and done it. And I think there is a problem with. I had a really good education and I went and did a degree, but I don't do anything related to my degree now. And um, people are going into, into debt, getting these degrees, thinking it's going to be a golden ticket to a career yeah. and to financial success and it <laughs> yeah. is not i no. think the most important thing is like an inner drive and also spotting what you're good at and running with that i don't think yeah. there's any that there's any merit or there's much merit in like being a great all-rounder no. like a lot so a lot
2: of the com a lot of what i've taken from the conversation tonight was actually really interesting is that your maybe your outlook or belief system is um, believe in yourself and find out what you think mm-hmm. and forget what everyone else thinks. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, you can take lessons from other people but at the end of the day, you're the only one who has the answers.
3: Yeah, well, and I think I think that you, you know, the biz it's quite interesting what you just said because I think with that apprentice mm-hmm. you know, um, situation, really what came across, at least on screen, and I know these are hugely edited, but yeah. is that he has a passion for what he does. Basically, that's my story. Like mm. If you have a passion and it's what you actually love, mm. it's not that difficult to devote a lot of time, a lot of energy mm. into doing it. Mm. And basically, if, if with that you have a, a confidence or a belief or a drive or, you know, you don't mind making a fool of yourself by going and showing other people it <laughs> yeah. or trying to get them on board with your passion, whether it's mad or brilliant, podcast. <laughs> but if you don't mind that, if you don't mind setting yourself up because you, you kind of have an inner, I'm all right. Yeah. Even if this goes tits up mm. it doesn't really matter no, yeah. like you know i have enough belief in myself that i'll bounce back then i see those as like the the factors that have managed to get me somewhere mm. but i don't think it's any anything else you know I think it's only like secret formula i think it's basically just that that's so good because there's so many like self-help and there's like five hacks to get your yeah. success and passion but i think that's and i think actually that's that's the one thing that has changed massively since i started is this whole there is such a pressure because yeah. of social media and because of all of this you know you can if you if you tweet 3 times a day it's going to destroy your business if you tweet 2 times a day it's going to be good for your business if you use this hashtag you're going to get this many likes if you use that hashtag it's so many conflicting and it's just noise yeah. it's absolute noise yeah. and if you just shut that out i mean i don't do facebook i don't have any i just think if you shut it out and you basically just focus on what you like doing and yeah. therefore hopefully what you're good at because generally you like doing what you're good yes. at then you know it will it will find a way, yeah. I think. I think often that's the story that I read is that you know, people who've managed to make a business out of what they their passion is because they have just stuck to it and they've just kept going. I think in this day and age with this kind of massively schizophrenic, like ADHD, you know, like just twenty four seven all day every day, yeah. it's just you have to find a way to shut it out. Mm-hmm. I don't you know, I don't take phone calls when I'm at work i I am on email a lot, which actually is really damaging, it's so draining yeah you know, and I should really just shut that out until I have an hour at the end of the day or something, mm-hmm. but basically, the time that you spend talking to people, sitting with them, engaging with them, telling them what you're doing, that's like the that's the best it's all you've really got, really, yeah, yeah, it's and it accounts for i think it counts for more now, probably even because so few people actually do do that. What, the face-to-face thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you go and visit, like for me, I'll go and visit a factory, Mm. you know, rather than, like, email them. or Mm -hmm. Like, you, you need to get the bones of that person, don't you? You need to know straight away... Yes or no? I trust you. I don't trust you. And if they're
1: ripping you off, you need to put a cowboy hat on. Oh. So maybe <laughs> the glasses. And oh yeah. Strut on down to Texas <laughs> like Jennifer Lawrence did. Enjoy. That was a kick-ass scene. That was scene. an amazing scene. Have you
3: had any oh, similar was an amazing situations? Scene. To that? I oh many, but usually <laughs> really? usually wearing like very impractical high heeled shoes, <laughs> wandering around um, the dodgiest parts of Seven Sisters or. Um, <laughs> I, honestly, I'm not even joking. I mean, my first factory visit was something that you could probably write a similar screenplay to. You know, I, I was kind of entered into this dark back street, third floor. This guy, it, threw a cloud of smoke. I mean, he was chain smoking <laughs> on this kind of like, leaning back on this chair that looked like it was from the 70s. And just kind of eyeing me up and down oh, and saying, you know, all right, sweetheart. <laughs> I'll do them for you, <laughs> and then charging me about three times what he yeah. should have charged me to, for the pleasure, you know. It kind of made you want to have a shower as soon as you left the place. But you know, I had in a way you have to do that to get done what you need to do yeah. to get on. And
2: so, what what can we see from Ragyard over the next next few months to
3: year? Well, obviously at the moment it's all about it's all about customized military. In fact, what does that mean? <laughs> I actually was um, in Atlanta last week, and I was lucky enough to have. To listen to a talk by WGSN, the big mm-hmm. trend forecasting um, agency, no, which so good. is amazing. Mm-hmm. I actually think in another life, I'd quite like to also work there. Yeah. <laughs> I think they do cool stuff. I that's definitely like part of my makeup. I was sitting there, I mean, there was steam coming off my keyboard. <laughs> was, like, trying to kind of like take everything down. I'm trying to remember my journalistic shorthand. But basically what they were saying, which is, it's lucky for Ragyard, lucky or I don't know, well placed, is that, you know, the world, because of now the access to every type of fashion and every type of clothing, the world is having almost like a slight backlash and it will continue to for the next few years, which is basically that we now want to be a bit more individual. Mm-hmm. We want to have, like, slightly more personalised clothing or, yeah, you know, we want to wear the patch which says Hawaii because we went to Hawaii or we want to have, like, like just takes on our own. We want to showcase, in a way, our individuality mm-hmm. a bit more than perhaps we needed to before.
4: Yeah.
3: Um because you know you get sick of seeing the same picture on Instagram the same pose the same outfit seems so the same haircut the same you know it's just to me that's not fashion that's not why I got into it it's not what I'm about so i think there's going to be a kind of macro trend now away from that instagram Formula, But mm-hmm. there really is a formula. Absolutely, and and we'll move more into what I think Ragyard really was born for, which is to in ena- to enable people to choose something really quite unique, style it in quite a unique way. We love the fact that Ragyard is actually aimed at an ageless mm. audience. We love we love people. To, our first customer was like a late '60s guy from on holiday from Germany, bought mm. like one of the coolest hand embellished. Harley Davidson leather jackets, you know, it's, it's basically this entire um, sliding scale of customer, and we actually think that's, that's exactly why we even created the brand, because we love the thought that, that it can be for anyone, but just for people who know themselves and want to style themselves in a way that is very unique so exciting so thank you so much Josephine My pleasure. and
2: listeners head out to the store um, just off Brick lane and then your new store that's Portobello okay. Road and it's opening on the 30th of April so the first question that I just wanted to ask was uh, why are you guys here today? <laughs> um, female solidarity to be against a misogynistic leader that's precise <laughs> that's I like why ditto. I mean ditto <laughs> tell us more about that i don't know what more i could say completely against someone who is sexist against women it's like feeding into his rape culture it's completely unacceptable it's going backwards in time and what does his presidency mean to you Um,
0: Uh, i guess it's the, the the things that he represents are absolutely disgusting and it kind of makes it seem like okay for a lot of people to just let those things pass because the power is in his hands to be like, you can do whatever you want. It's negative but, energy. Yeah, completely He's negative. negative and the symbolism violence. is so strong, but it's the complete wrong symbolism. Of, like, I don't know, like saying that. Rape culture. Yeah, rape culture, harassment of anyone. Completely is dismissing okay. the environment. Racism, fascism. Homophobia. Every kind of ism ever.
4: <laughs> I'm Jeanette. Hi,
2: Jeanette. And Emma. Hi, Emma.
4: So why are you both here today? I'm here because I couldn't stay away Um, after some of the stuff that I heard Donald Trump say during the election I felt I felt really upset that someone in public life could hold those views and be accepted into public life and I felt quite sick when I saw him inaugurated Um, and I want I want this world to be a kinder place Um, and that's what I want to stand up so that's why I'm here.
2: Can you be specific about what he said that made you really upset?
4: I think um, all of his rhetoric around people who are who are different um, in in U.S. society um, was was quite hateful, and obviously his rhetoric around women was very disrespectful. I, I think I think going back historically, um, some of the the racist slurs that he embodied during the during Obama's election as well um, which I thought were very blatant um, so I just felt that his messages the messages that he was giving out were not the kinds of messages that I agree with um, but I think also last year was a really strange year for us as, as a society as a community in the UK um, that we, we kind of got hit with some realities actually that were probably already there um, that have made us realize that we're a divided society and I I don't want that for myself or my children so yeah.
2: Great thank you. Emma what
0: about you? I believe like a lot of people here in solidarity and equality and that those are things that we should continually strive for together over time and time always changes because people change he was in and out. The aspects of some of the unexpected election results and other events last year was partly how headline-driven things seemed to be. Things seemed to be turning around simplistic, overconfident statements seemed to be the main thing that drove power. So having a simplistic, overconfident statement of... Huge amounts of women around the world are marching because they're so angry that equality is so threatened. Not very succinct to that. So maybe something much shorter than that seemed actually a very good way to counter and push against what is turning into headline driven politics that is almost disregarding of content. So it doesn't matter what the headline is, if it's super simple it gets media attention, disproportionate media attention. So there needs to be counteracts to that around solidarity that can also generate simplistic headlines that give other people courage. The people who haven't come out, the young women or women who are not sure about what their position is on some things, but that people gain confidence for each other and gift each other confidence. Okay, so what's your name?
4: Uh, Sean.
2: Hi, Sean. I just wanted to know why you're here today.
4: Because um, um, I think women's rights aren't represented as much, because um, there's not that many MPs who are actually women. It's mostly men. And like the whole point of parliament, to me, is supposed to represent the people by not representing <laughs> the people, if it's just mostly white men and like the minorities. Like even women are classed kind of as a minority in parliament or in general because they're not represented as much.
2: Mm-hmm. And then more specifically about Trump, what does
4: Trump mean um, to you? He's kind of, he's very misogynistic and um, he has like a really simple minded way and he, I don't think he qualifies to be president because if his views are only towards this kind of majority and he doesn't represent the minorities, there's some prejudice he has against them. He doesn't like um, qualify to be a leader of a country, Mm. which was which really runs on minorities and what they do.
2: Um, I just wanted to find out why you're all here today. Um, We're We're friends, yeah, and we're talking about this, and we've been talking about our feelings since Brexit, yeah, which won't go away. They keep it won't go away, and Trump just trumped it, and we (laughs) just felt we wanted to join with you said it people who shared our, our views and just felt as though we weren't alone. I think we need to affirm the um, the feeling of tolerance and solidarity. I, th- I think uh, the far right is taking quite over quite a lot, and we just needed to be with people who felt like us and and actually appeal to the. We were saying the better better nature in us, not the worst in us, the better nature. In us. That's lovely. I'm
3: also here for my. I've got relatives in America. My sister-in-law's marching in Ventura my nieces in Tucson marching, so it felt like I need to support them from here as well. And I'm marching and we're walking over here for our children too, and grandchildren,
2: we? children yeah. and grandchildren especially. And what does the Trump presidency mean to you, if, if anything at all? It's very scary. I'm frightened really. It means hope. <laughs> It's like everything that we believe in turned on its tail with him, and I think that's why there is such a powerful feeling around today that we need to reaffirm our values. Really, what's the most scary thing about Trump? What's the scariest thing about Trump? And towards possible war. I mean, personally, I'm sure we've marched against. Green and the all through this time then suddenly we find we're at an even more dangerous point than we have been for years for me I think it's this intolerance where we've been working towards creating a more inclusive fairer society he comes along and destroys that within a few sentences and every big institution is threatened I think and everything everything that like you say we believe in is threatened
0: Actually, I'm feeling more strongly about it now than I did before. No,
1: it's a good thing, I think. Thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe to the subject through iTunes or ACAST so you don't miss our last episode, which is with screenwriter Marnie Dickens. Marnie's amazingly talented. She started her career behind the scenes and the production side of things and then branched out into screenwriting. She was part of the writing team on every student's favourite Hollyoaks and last year, her debut drama, 13, was aired on the BBC, which was amazing if anyone saw it. It's sort of a kidnap story with a twist. So make sure you tune in and listen to that. super interesting. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye.